Well, hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard on Chorus Radio. It's a travel show where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. And you see it all the time, don't you? Images or videos of people getting too close to a bear or an elk or some other sort of wildlife. I just saw one the other day, actually, of a woman getting too close to a herd of bison and she learned her lesson the hard way. So we're going to talk about safety when encountering wildlife while enjoying our national parks and review Parks Canada's 10 tips to respect wildlife and stay safe a little bit later in the podcast. And what's it like to travel to Mexico these days with all the COVID restrictions and protocols in place? Well, according to travel journalist Eric Bowman, it was a new and different travel experience. So we'll chat with Eric to get his take on what it was like. But we're going to start things out this week talking about Aeroplan. There's some big changes coming to their loyalty program. And whenever we talk about any kind of loyalty program or rewards points, we like to call on Patrick Soika. He is the founder of Rewards Canada, and he joins us now to explain the new Aeroplan program coming out in November. His website, by the way, if you want more information on it, is rewardscanada.ca. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Randy. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, I was pretty excited when I heard the new Aeroplan program that's coming out in November. What's your overall impression? I would say it is a enhanced program, and, and that's <laughs> hard to say because most most times when when programs change, they they call them enhancements, but in fact they're they're not. You mm-hmm. know, they, they throw in they throw in a couple of good things with a lot of bad things. Here we have a lot of great new things, and of course there are trade-offs. There are some things that aren't, aren't as good in the new program, but for the most part, I think the program is better than it was before. Good. Well, tell me some of the differences then. What's changing? All right, so the, the main thing, like the biggest thing, like this is the best news by far, is no more carrier, those dreaded carrier or slash fuel surcharges that uh, a lot of airlines started adding years ago on mm-hmm. their reward tickets. This is where you'd redeem sixty thousand miles for a round trip flight to Europe, but still be spending six, seven, eight hundred dollars in in added fees. Mm-hmm. So th- th- those are gone now. Um, but of course, you must be asking. There must be a, a, a <laughs> yeah. where's the and, catch? And there, where's the catch? <laughs> and there is. It may cost you more annual plan points. That's what they're, they're, they're going to be called points from that point forward, from November eight forward. They're no longer miles; they're points. Mm-hmm. They, in a lot of cases, they will cost you more points, but the increase in points. Uh, shouldn't be as high as what those fees were. So, like, some of the numbers I was running is that, yeah, maybe about 100 to $200 worth more of points that you're using, but you're not paying those six to $800 in fees. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so there is that trade-off, but, but in general it is better. But there's also cases where you might be spending a lot more points if you are traveling on those busy days, because Aeroplan says it's any seat, any time. And, it, and they had that before in their market for rewards, but they're really pushing it now. So, yeah, if there is a seat open, you can get it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be kind of based on how expensive the flight is. So on the, on the flip side, if you're going to Europe in the off season, it may actually cost you less points than it did before mm-hmm. and you're not paying those fees. So it could end up being cheaper. So you're, so you're getting the best kind of the best and worst of both worlds here. For well, sure. And if you have the points, you have the points, you're not paying extra cash, right? That's right. Ca- yeah. The cash in your pocket is great. And then they're even, and then if you don't even have enough points, that's another feature, new feature of the program is they're doing a, a cash plus points option. So where you'll, you'll have, uh, I think three or four different levels of, how many points you can use versus cash. So you can pay for the entire flight, including taxes and fees and points. You can pay the base amount in points, which is what we've been used to, and then the, just the taxes and fees in cash. 
or say it'll be 50% points, 50% cash. So there's a lot of different options. They've made it a lot more flexible. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have quite enough points, you can just top it up with cash. That's right. That's right. And then another way way to cover those rewards, which is uh, getting a lot of news, is this family sharing or family pooling. Like Mm -hmm. they're making it, you can basically have up to eight people in what's called a family account and everybody still has their separate aeroplane numbers. Everybody still uh, earns miles separately, but then the miles can be pooled together to get to those rewards or even higher re- rewards because you're going to have a higher reward balance. So, so that's a really good new option as well. So I can give all my family members uh, a rewards card with the same number and they can use it and we can just pool our points. Well, it- Actually, they'd be separate. You'll have separate numbers, but they will be pooled into one uh, into oh, the family okay. account. And so, what they've done, so they've made it easy for members to go in and out. Now, there's some restrictions, like you've had to be you have to be part of their family pooling for a certain amount of months, and then if you leave, you can't join for six months. Uh, so they, they've put some restrictions. So you can't game the system really, mm-hmm. but they made it easy. For example, like I'm thinking of my own family. Uh, my kids are teenagers, and in a few years, if they move out on their own, maybe they don't want to be part of the family program anymore. Well, then they can just uh, we can split them off, and they still have their aeroplane number and whatever percentage of miles was theirs goes with them. My kids are a little younger. Can you collect points on Slurpees? <laughs> <laughs> well, with your credit card, you could. Yeah. Well, there you um, go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of credit cards, let's uh, chat about that for a bit. Now, the I understand they're keeping or they're getting back uh, the credit cards that they may have lost or we're losing. Explain that for me. Yeah, yeah. So they still have all their partnerships with TDCIBC, American Express. Um, and for the most part, the credit cards are being enhanced, uh, getting better as well, because there's now some elite status earning options on some of them. Um, like the mainstay TD cards, they're also adding benefits like um, a credit for Nexus. So if you apply for your Nexus card, they'll, they'll pay for that. Um you know, there's uh, basically what else is on those credit cards. Enhanced insurances. Uh, the earn rates, for the most part, stay about the same on the credit cards. Mm-hmm. They've, they've gone away from having an accelerator on drugstores, but some of the cards have added accelerators on other. And they've also, of course, increased the earn with Air Canada. Like what a lot of the credit cards are really focusing on is Air Canada. And even the program is focusing on Air Canada because of those, the dropping of those fees. Uh, on their rewards, uh, you know, I think a lot of airplane members actually went away from flying on Air Canada on awards or even paid tickets because you could earn on other airlines and redeem on other airlines. So the focus is like, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back to Air Canada. I mean, Air Canada is a, a really great airline in terms of service. They have great lounges for business class. And that's kind of their focus is let's bring it back to Air Canada. Well, uh, more uh, information is on your website, as always, rewardscanada.ca. And Patrick Soika is the uh, founder of Rewards Canada. Always a pleasure to chat, Patrick. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. So what's it like to travel to Mexico these days with all the COVID restrictions and protocols in place? Well, according to travel journalist Eric Bowman, it was a new and different travel experience. Eric is the managing editor of Travel Pulse, and he recently wrote about it on the Travel Pulse website, travelpulse.com. And Eric is here now to give us his take on what it was like to travel to Mexico. Hi, Eric. Hey, Randy. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Uh, tell me about uh, Travel Pulse itself before we start talking about your experience in Cancun. Yeah, absolutely. So Travel Pulse is a travel website. We cover the travel industry at large, uh, predominantly focusing on 
sort of the trade side of things, but we do have a growing consumer audience as well. So if it's, if it's trending in travel, you know, we're there to cover it. And I do get your newsletters. So yes, you are. <laughs> uh, so recently you took a trip to Cancun. This was with a, a number of other travel advisors and, uh, and it was event set up. So it wasn't you just kind of going on your own, was it? No, no, it was not. It was a, um, a VIP event for the top travel advisors with Playa Hotels and Resorts. Went down to Hyaziva Cancun to kind of experience what the new protocols are like, see their health and safety uh, initiatives, and uh, so the travel advisors could get comfortable themselves and be able to sell that product mm-hmm. to consumers. Yeah. So did they kind of hold your hand the whole way? Did you know what you were uh, getting into, uh, even from the start, going to the airport about all the protocols, or did you just kind of wing it? Uh, I sort of just a little bit of winging it, I guess. So, I mean, mostly I, I knew they, they had like a brief itinerary of what to expect when we got there. They did a, a welcome cocktail um, and then they did dinner separated out in two groups uh, to, the, to allow for social distancing. I was a little concerned about the welcome cocktail party and the dinners and how that would be set up. But once I got there and experienced it, it wasn't wasn't bad at all. So the as far as the airport stuff, I kind of knew that just from um interviewing previous travel advisors who had already been to Cancun and their experience um, on our podcast, the Travel Pulse podcast. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it, I, I kind of knew what to go, a little bit what to expect going in, but it's still there's, you know, some nerves because you've got to do it yourself and experience it yourself with how things go. But uh, I actually ended up, I flew Delta, so I ended up having uh, the whole road to myself flying down there and actually flying back, which will probably never happen again, <laughs> um, <laughs> especially on an international flight. So. Well, I guess that's one of the flip sides, uh, traveling or flying these days. Uh, since a whole lot of people aren't doing it, you do have a whole row, and there is social distancing, uh, not by plan, but more like more by accident. Yeah, absolutely. So I, there weren't that many empty rows on the plane that I was in, but thankfully, thankfully Delta is still doing the blocking middle seats, which I appreciated, and having that whole row to myself. Uh, actually, it was my flight out there was super early, so I ended up sleeping. And I woke up to like a little snack pack next to me in a bag and everything. And I was like, oh, that's convenient, I guess, but not going to use it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so tell me about the arrival, the whole thing, how, what they had set up for you then. Yeah. So when I got there, actually, before I got there on the plane, they gave me this extra sheet of paper. You know how when you fly internationally, you've got to fill out the little customs stuff and, and hand that over and everything. Well, there's an extra piece of paper that you filled out and talked about your health. Have you been in contact with anyone? Um, so I thought I would have to hand that over to someone. Someone would read it or anything, but nobody ever took it. So I was like, what a waste of paper. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, once I got there, customs line was about, um, I mean, people were actually pretty good socially, socially distancing in the customs line uh, for that, for, for entering Cancun. But once you go through that, then you pass and then go around the corner. But just before you get to the duty-free, for those who have been to Cancun, uh, they had, there was this guy, in like, uh, two people actually, in sort of these hazmat-like suits. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I looked at the corner, one guy's at the computer, and then I realized, oh, they just did a touchless temperature screen of me. And if I had been sick or had a temperature, they would have flagged me down and taken me to a different room and everything. So that was kind of unique that they took your temperature without you really even realizing it. I'm sure a lot of people just walk right past. So once I once I found my transfer car and headed to the resort, once I got to the resort at High Ziva Cancun, I got out and they took my temperature right away. They took my luggage and um, usually I like to keep my luggage with me, but in this instance, you had to take they, they had to take it because they actually disinfected it and cleaned it for you, then brought it to your room and they had a little sticker on it to show that you uh, that they that they cleaned it and it was clean and, and good to go. So mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty unique. And then once I got to my room, um, there's the, the sticker on the door that shows you that it's been clean, like it's not broken. And I opened it up and the the butler that came with the room um, asked to come in. Usually they just tend to show you the room, like they might open the door for you or, uh, but they asked, that's part of their new protocols is may I come in? 
um, specifically. And then he kind of showed me a little bit about the room. The remote was in the plastic container thing. That was kind of one thing I noticed a lot throughout the event or throughout the, the trip was there's a lot more plastic being used, but everything's got to be sealed and cleanliness and everything. So it's depending on how you feel about plastic. Were all the amenities open, like the pool? Would you have a spa if they had a spa there? Uh, everything was accessible? Yeah, everything was open. The, the gym was open too, uh, kind of staggered uh, to try to be socially distant. I didn't go in it, but a friend of mine, another writer who was there with me said that he did. And he, he went super early in the morning and just didn't feel all that comfortable because it was a little bit crowded, even though it was still, people were still spaced out. And some people were wearing masks, some people weren't. Uh, they have since actually changed their protocols, uh, all of Hyatt. Um, in the U.S., they had this before that you had to wear a mask everywhere inside the Hyatt properties, but it wasn't, you know, for Cancun or, or any of the Americas. But actually, just this week, they announced that all um, all Hyatt properties in all the uh, North America and South America, you have to wear a mask indoors. So I didn't see people wearing masks um, in certain spots, but now that's a, a mandatory thing. So, uh, which I think for gyms is kind of kind of needed there. So, but yeah, the spa was open, everything just kind of staggered hours. Um, so like the buffet was really open, only open for breakfast for that. Uh, some restaurants were, were closed while others were open. So they had two restaurants like next to each other and they kind of shared a bathroom, that property. So only one of those restaurants uh, was open at a time and then they would kind of trade off on days. So you just kind of have to monitor that. Of, and they give you a schedule and there's a little iPad in your room or not a, a little tablet, not an iPad. Yeah. But this kind of tells you what's open for the day and what, activities you can do and everything but yeah the pool was open they can only be at 30 percent occupancy so it never really felt all that crowded yeah I um, suppose. my room is over overlooking the adults uh, only section mm-hmm. and that pool was pretty much empty the entire time so uh, we had to do a lot of uh, event stuff more over towards the main section of the hotel and the main pool and that pool i wouldn't say crowded but i mean it definitely you know around like two o'clock or so they would have different events and they had they had a phone party which um maybe like seven to 10 people were, were there for that. But uh, adults only side of the, the pool area was, was practically empty the whole time I was there. Now, what about Cancun itself? Did you get a chance to tour around and how was that different from uh, previous uh, experiences? Uh, no, I, I wasn't able to leave the hotel, but my friend did. He went to the grocery store uh, just to get a few things and to experience it. But um, he said, yeah, it, it masks are mandatory in Cancun. So even if you just, just driving down the, the hotel zone on your way to the resort or on your way back to the airport, you can see that everyone's wearing masks, even when they're walking by um, shopping's a little different. You can only, only certain amount of people can go in at a time. So, but no, my, I'm myself, I, I stuck to the resort mainly. I had, was there for work and wasn't able to kind of uh, get out and explore and do any activities beyond the resort. And that was out of choice, just to be clear. Uh, it wasn't like you couldn't leave the resort, right? Right. Yeah. I could have gone, but like I said, my, my, mm-hmm. my other travel writer friend who was there, did go to the grocery store. He said about a 10 minute walk. Um, it was extremely hot. So I was, I was amazed that he went and did a 10 minute walk <laughs> off the property. Um, but yeah, I, I could have, if I, if I wanted to, but I mostly, uh, I had a lot of work to do. Um, and with the event itself and then also just with, with travel pulse mm-hmm. managing. Uh, we should say you, you, uh, live in the United States. So on, upon your return in Canada, we have a 14 day in quarantine. If we leave the country, you've got to come back and quarantine for 14 days. What are the rules when you come back home? So I live in Georgia. I flew in from uh, out of Atlanta and back in. And again, I got that extra piece of paper that I had to fill out for, for the U.S. customs. And again, nobody looked at that. So again, I felt like a wasted piece of paper. And it's not mandatory, but it's just it's like recommended. Yeah. Uh, so I did stay home here in my home. And I have a, a six-month-old daughter and my wife. And I came back and 
we didn't we haven't seen my parents or her parents um in a bit we are going to go see them next week because it'll be after the full two weeks of mm-hmm. staying here at home. Mm-hmm. So now, would you recommend people to go to Cancun? Uh, you know, I, I obviously, with all the restrictions in there, you can still have a good time, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. If you want to travel and you're open to that, um, yeah, I think Cancun and, and Mexico in general, uh, as far as the all-inclusive resorts go, yeah, they, they put a lot of new protocols in place to help make you feel safe. A lot of the travel advisors that I interviewed there we put up a video up on, on travelpulse.com. You can check that out if anyone wants to see what the agents had to say. But a lot of them felt super comfortable, felt super safe. They've already been sending clients down to Cancun uh, since they opened back up in June. So it's one of the more lax um, protocols, I guess, as far as, you know, you don't need to bring a negative COVID test upon mm-hmm. arrival like you do in a lot of other islands mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the Caribbean. So, uh, yeah, I would recommend it. If, if, if people want to travel, if you don't feel comfortable travel, then, you know, that's, that's totally fine. I, I totally get that. I know people that feel that way right now, and I understand that. But there are a lot of people. There is a lot of pent-up demand to get out there and travel. And, you know, stick to the resort. I think, I think you'll be fine. Uh, Eric Bowman is the managing editor for Travel Pulse. You can find uh, his article, The New and Different Cancun Travel Experience. Uh, again, it's on TravelPulse.com. Uh, pleasure chatting with you, Eric. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Randy. I really appreciate it. Well, you see it all the time, images or videos of people getting too close to a bear or an elk or some other sort of wildlife. Like I said, I just saw one the other day of a woman getting too close to a herd of bison, and she learned her lesson the hard way. So we're going to talk about safety when encountering wildlife. Parks Canada, in fact, has 10 tips to respect wildlife and stay safe on their website. And here to review what those tips are is Steve Michel. He's a National Human Wildlife Conflict Officer with Parks Canada. Hi, Steve. Hi, Randy. Well, we're going to review 10 tips to respect wildlife and stay safe. It's on the Parks Canada website. Uh, Just off the top of your head, though, do you have any numbers on how often people come in conflict, and I'm going to use that word, with uh, wildlife uh, over the course of the summer in our parks? Well, it really depends on the uh, on the given park. Obviously, we've got a lot of different sites all across the country from coast to coast to coast, and, and some of them are a lot busier than others. So the places that people might think about the most often, the real busy parks like uh, Banff and Jasper and places like that that are close to uh, cities like Calgary and Edmonton, uh, people come into contact with uh, with wildlife very often, actually. It's... Uh, it happens many times a day in, in those busier parks. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm not sure if we'll get through all 10 of them, but uh, I guess a lot of this, a lot of the tips here are just common sense. But uh, that being said, if you're not familiar with uh, the animal or the surroundings, uh, you don't know what you don't know. And that kind of leads into our, our first tip, doesn't it? Learn about the wildlife in the park you're visiting. Absolutely, yeah. And, and that's something that people can do ahead of time. It's sort of what we call our, our pre-trip uh, preparation. And we've got lots of great information on our website. Uh, all, the, all the parks have uh, information on the particular species that are there. So people can go in ahead of time and, you know, take five minutes and just uh, learn a little bit about the, the actual species that they're going to bump into at whatever park they're headed to. Now, do people get sort of the wrong impression of uh, animals? You know, like, I'm looking at bears, for example. People think they're, ba- they're cute and you see them in zoos. When you actually see them in their environment, they're dangerous uh, and stay away, Right. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's one of the key messages we always really want to get out to our visitors is that these are wild animals and, and you need to do your part to uh, help keep wildlife wild. Uh, and, and it's really, it all comes down to, uh, to giving them the respect that they deserve and the, the space that they deserve. These are wild animals and, and sometimes they can be dangerous if you just get too close to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and that's good that you, uh, in the title, it says respect wildlife. And I, I'm glad you said that because we have to respect them. We are in their environment, right? Uh, that leads us to the, uh, the uh, second tip on here. Feeding wildlife is never allowed and people like to do that, even with a, you know, a chipmunk or something <laughs> like that, right? Yeah, unfortunately, it happens just far too often, and, and people think it's it's kind of innocent with a, a little chipmunk or a squirrel or a bird or something in a busy parking lot. Um, but the reality is that those animals just continue to, to panhandle for human food, and, and ultimately, they don't really survive if they if they lose their ability to forage naturally. And of course, it can become very, very dangerous when we're starting to talk about uh, the bigger, more dangerous animals. And, and you mentioned bears earlier as a good example. Uh, but, you know, wolves, coyotes, all these animals can become what we call food conditioned if they get a hold of human food or garbage and then mm-hmm. they actively seek it out. And that is a really, really dangerous situation. So it's very important that people never uh, directly feed wildlife. But the other thing that we're seeing these days, it's a concern particularly with covid uh, is there's a lot more garbage showing up around places. People feel, I guess, a little reluctant to put their hands on a garbage can and, um, you know, maybe get contaminated or, or something like that. And so they leave garbage lying around. And we really want to stress that it's very important that that garbage gets into a secure wildlife-proof container. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, tip number three, like a lot of people like to take their dogs with them, uh, keep them on a leash, right? Or would you even say, like, can you leave your dog at home? What's your your take on that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong dog owner and a dog lover and, and uh, I, I appreciate how important it is that people have their pets with them and they just need to understand that if they are going to bring their animal to a national park it's the law that it must be on the leash all the time um, but you know we do encourage people that it, it, it might be better to just you know leave that dog at home uh, for the day leave it with your friends leave it with your family because it, it might not be the most appropriate uh, place to take your take your dog but if you do decide to bring it it definitely needs to be on a leash uh, lots of people are out hiking these days. Uh, timing is everything. Now, I suppose if you want to see wildlife, then you're going to go, uh, as it mentions in your on your website here, uh, earlier in the morning or later in the evening. But that's the flip side. If you want to see wildlife, be careful. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you want to go out for a drive and, and safely see some wildlife from your car and, and stay inside your vehicle and, and get a few pictures as if you're, you know, parked safely on the side of the road, that's great. You know, the early morning hours and the later evening hours are a good time to do that. But remember, if you're out hiking, that's when the wildlife is going to be most active and you're more likely to have an encounter. So those dawn and dusk periods are, are definitely the most concerning for having a potential encounter with wildlife. And I think uh, a lot of people go in those hours too because it's less crowded, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no question it's it's a fantastic time to be out. It's, it's my favorite time early in the morning. Uh, but we just encourage people to be very very aware if, if that's the time that they choose to travel. And you mentioned this uh, briefly too, only stop if it's safe to do so. Uh, we see this all the time, uh, a bear on the side of the road and suddenly there's cars parked everywhere. And if you're not watching, it can cause a huge collision, not only uh, an encounter with the wildlife, right? 
Oh yeah, it's uh, it's what we call a, a wildlife jam, and it can be quite a chaotic scene. And, and we understand that when people see a you know a bear or some spectacular animal inside the road, they want to stop and get that once in a lifetime picture. But you've got to stop in a place, a safe place. Uh, you got to pull over onto the shoulder of the road. Um, you can't be blocking traffic. It's it's dangerous for yourself. It's dangerous for everybody else on the road. And it's dangerous for the wildlife that might be trying to cross the highway. So only uh, only stop in a safe place. And if it's just too crowded, just keep on driving. Mm-hmm. Well, then it seems to me whenever there's an encounter with a human versus animal, the animal always loses out. Like whether it's, you know, they're in a campsite looking for garbage or... You know, they have an encounter and suddenly someone gets hurt. Uh, the animal loses out, don't, don't they? Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing that does tend to happen. And, and uh, you know, it comes back to what I was saying earlier about, uh, you know, food condition animals as an example. If, if, if they do get that taste of human food, it's very difficult to reverse that behavior. And unfortunately, that animal always ends up losing. So, again, it's all about making sure that you give that animal some safe space and, and show it the respect it deserves to help keep it wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, like I said, a lot of this is just common sense, like keeping a safe distance from wildlife. What is a safe distance? Well, that kind of depends on what the species is. So as a as sort of a blanket statement, we always say 30 meters away from any large uh, animal. But if we're talking about the, the carnivores, things like bears or wolves, coyotes and cougars, we, we recommend that people be 100 meters away. Um, but what we're noticing is a real trend these days that is a little bit disturbing. And it's not just us, but it's it's all around the world is this this selfie craze mm-hmm. that people have. And everybody wants to get that perfect picture to put on on Instagram or whatever it is, and you know, a selfie of themselves with the wildlife in the background. And and they really lose all perspective as to how to, you know, keep a safe distance. And so we're we're always encouraging people that, you know, just kind of pause on the selfies and, and make sure that you're uh, you're keeping safe first. Uh, a couple of the a couple more tips here. Stay alert and be aware of your surroundings. Kind of goes hand in hand with number ten. Stay on the designated trails and respect all signs. Uh, you know, so be aware of all those things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is sort of a, a common sense one. And, and, you know, the fancy term I like to use for this is uh, situational awareness. And that's, you know, it, it goes with with everything that we do in life. Just be aware of what's going on uh, around you. But particularly if you're out hiking that trail and, you know, you might be hiking through the middle of a berry patch and you see bear poop all around you, something like that. Well, that's a real good indication that there's probably some bears nearby. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, just just keep alert. And, and unfortunately, we see people who, uh, again, in today's times, they've got their earbuds in, they're listening to their music as they're walking along the trail. Well, you may as well wear a blindfold as well if you're doing that because you're just robbing yourself of your senses. So the, the more you can stay alert and, and, and be aware, the, the safer that you'll be. And that's that's good for yourself and mm. it's good for the wildlife. Mm-hmm. Have we seen an uptake? Uh, you know, there was, were reports of, uh, you know, animal sightings earlier on because we weren't out in the uh, parks and then the parks opened up. Uh, so I, I guess the animals kind of got used to not having humans around, right? <laughs> Yeah, it just goes to show how adaptable wildlife is. And as, as soon as we uh, uh, we kind of retreat a little bit and give them a little bit more space and there's less people in places, they, they get in there and, and, and use these locations. And we we're seeing examples of that all across the globe in the early stages of the, the pandemic. But now, uh, certainly in our national parks, we're, we're back to what I would describe as fairly normal visitation levels. The uh, the user groups are, are different. It's mostly Canadians, of course, that are here, not international visitors. But there's lots of people in the parks, and and, and wildlife have 
uh, you know, gone back to their more typical patterns that we would see. Mm-hmm. It's 10 tips to respect wildlife and stay safe. You can find it on the Parks Canada website, pc.gc.ca. And Steve Michelle is the National Human Wildlife Conflict Officer for Parks Canada. Appreciate your input, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. And that is this week's Informed Traveller podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveller radio show heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website at theinformedtraveller.ca. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. And if you want to drop me a line, my email is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler. Or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.